0: If you want them to produce the results that you want, they need to understand what your brand stands for. They need to be passionate about it and motivated to support it, and then they need to know how to interpret and reinforce it in their daily decisions and behaviors and actions. And so you need to have you need to cultivate employee brand engagement.
1: CEO reads 60 books per year, and many attribute their success to this habit of constant learning. This is the difference between those who actualize and those who fail, this automization of their learning, this 1% better every day. On the MentorBox podcast, we're making it easy for you to build and maintain that same habit, the same type of constant lifelong learning as those CEOs, simply by listening to this podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen, and tune in for new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and every Friday. And if you want to dig deeper into what our incredible guests teach, make sure to go to MentorBox.com and become a member today.
2: Everyone, welcome to the MentorBox Podcast. You are listening because you are a person of action. But action, of course, must be supported by deep knowledge. Education is a deliberate, lifelong pursuit, and you know that the fastest, most effective way to learn is from the masters themselves. By harnessing the power of the world's top innovators and thought leaders, you too can affect positive change for your community, business, and the world at large. That's why today we're speaking with Denise Lee Yan. Denise wrote the book Fusion, How Integrating Brand and Culture Powers the World's Greatest Companies. There's an unambiguous crisis in corporate culture taking place in a number of industries today. Tech innovation right here in Silicon Valley unfortunately leads that list. Denise and I discuss how company leaders can be more deliberate in their efforts to cultivate positive workplace culture. Your brand should have a strong mission, and that attitude should be reflected in the way you treat your team and the way your team treats each other. We take aim at some heavy topics, including workplace harassment and inequality, so buckle up. And I hope you learned something new. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Mentor Box Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lay, content coordinator of Mentor Box. And today I'm speaking with Denise Lee Yon, author of the book Fusion: How integrating brand and culture powers the world's greatest companies. Denise is a speaker, consultant, and writer on brand building. And Denise, it's wonderful to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for coming in.
0: I'm excited about it. Thank you.
2: So the fusion in this book, the title is referring to brand plus culture. Can you explain that a bit more deeply for us?
0: Sure. So you want to ensure that you have a mutually reinforcing and interdependent relationship between your external brand identity and your internal corporate culture. So you mm-hmm. want to integrate and align them or fuse them together.
2: Mm-hmm. We just finished doing a shoot in our studio here, and toward the end, you and I started talking about the book Brotopia by Emily Chung. And I think this sort of culture crisis that's been happening in Silicon Valley and also more broadly in America, especially with men in positions of power, is a great way to – thinking about this is a great way to examine the core principles of your book and how they can make broad change in terms of both business success but also – cultural improvement. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, we are at a very unique time, I think, in the development of business in the sense that customers have so much more visibility into how companies are actually run. Yeah. So that creates a burden on companies to make sure that they are operating with integrity and that there's a, a you know great deal of authenticity and transparency in how they represent themselves to the outside world. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're seeing a lot uh, at a lot of these newer startup, you know, primarily tech companies is that they often Struggle with the corporate culture that they of the organizations they're building, and yet they are presenting themselves as having it all together as a brand. And uh, you know, you you see things like what happened at Uber. Yeah, I when, was going to say
2: the Uber story is a, <laughs> is a great highlight of this. You, right. a lot of people just see the app that they use every day, and then all of a sudden, you know, reporting comes out about what's going on on the inside there, and it's just it's chaos.
0: Yes, and you know, it, it's tragic, really. I mean, the behaviors of the of the People at Uber um, were really despicable. I think <laughs> it was probably the word I yeah. used. But you know what? I think that it was even more damaging to the company because it was so the behavior, like kind of the, the sexual harassment and discrimination kind of bro culture was so different from the progressive ideals that the brand embraced. You know, Mm -hmm. I think when the company first came out, they talked about how, you know, they wanted to kind of, you know, stick it to the man in terms of the taxi industry. (laughs) They wanted to, you know, combat all of the corruption in the taxi industry, democratize, Great, tra- great public transportation and just be a brand that everyone could, you know, enjoy and have freedom. And mm-hmm. uh, it was kind of very populist, right? And so then you find out that, okay, so there are treating women extremely poorly within the organization. Mm-hmm. They are engaging in the same kind of corrupt practices that they were accusing the taxi industry of, just in a different kind, you know, like hailing Lyft rides and then canceling them or, yeah. you know, blocking uh, uh, police policemen and other folks, other government officials who want to use their app. And so mm-hmm. you kind of start wondering, okay, well, so how you know, how populist are you really, if you really are, are and how progressive are you really? And, um, you know, your whole thing about democratizing something like transportation, is that really what you believe? Because you're certainly not acting in line with that.
2: Mm-hmm. And the transparency component, which is something that you mentioned earlier, is something that's so new in just the visibility of what you can find about how companies are run these days. And uh, a sort of Corollary, not direct corollary, in terms of um, you know social culture and ethics, I would say, but mm-hmm. in terms of company success, is Amazon. And you mentioned a New York Times article that was published about Amazon that was. That almost seemed a bit critical. It used some very strong language. Yes,
0: it was. I think very critical. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So the article in New York Times it was now a few, a couple of years ago. It, you know, talked about people crying at their desks and being <laughs> yelled at by their managers, and just you know, the, like I think they used the word purposeful Darwinism mm-hmm. in their management approach of, of, of firing people. And you know, I think that a lot of people reacted to that article saying gosh, that seems like such a toxic environment. That's just, it's just horrible. What I think the article failed to reveal is that the culture at Amazon works for many of the people who work in Amazon. Mm-hmm. And and we ended up finding that out when, people responded to that uh, amazon employees responded to the article saying you know what we love working here because it's it's competitive it's challenging it pushes me beyond my limits i am asked to do things that seem impossible but then i actually do them you know so there was a part of that story that i think reflected the uniqueness of the amazon culture which is which is so important but Going back to, you know, why I think Uber's culture, the the revelations about Uber's culture were so damaging to Uber and the revelations about Amazon's culture were not so much is because at Amazon, there really isn't a disconnect between how they portray themselves and how they operate. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Bezos has said he wants to become Earth's most customer-centric company, and everything the company does is in pursuit of innovation's to become that. And so everyone's driven by that. Everyone in the organization is you know, it is competitive and performance oriented because they are so committed to that mission. But we as customers understand that and we appreciate the fact that they are so driven. We appreciate that they are You know, challenging conventions and doing things that seem kind of illogical, like, you know, willing to lose money on certain things in order to satisfy us. And so there is this alignment and integration of brand and culture at Amazon that we don't see at other places like Uber. And so th- what I suggest in my book is that that fusion of brand and culture is really what powers companies to achieve the kind of success that like Amazon has achieved.
2: Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Amazon is not 100% perfect. You know, Absolutely all of these not. companies yes. seem to have their, their issues here <laughs> yes. and there. But at the end of the day, we had with Amazon – what appears to be a much more equitable space, more effective leadership, probably better communication despite the obviously vastness of the company. And I think what that ultimately means is that equality is more likely to take place in some form. the, The space is more likely to offer equal opportunity and treat people more respectably within the company culture itself. And I want to think about how... Things like leadership, effective communication, work ethic, and the the sort of the things that you describe in the values of the culture. So mm-hmm. anything from traditions and rituals to even like artifacts you mm-hmm. mentioned in the book mm-hmm. as well, how those things collectively create a more ethical and moral and equitable company culture. Mm-hmm. So I'd actually like to start with leadership because that's one of the things that Emily Chung talks about a lot in Brotopia is an absence of women leaders and founders ultimately can result in spaces that don't have diverse mindsets Mm -hmm. and at some point eventually have to address this when they realize that, oh, just like Uber did, they realize, oh, our culture is not conducive to productivity, and it's also just kind of mean in a lot of ways. <laughs> so tell me your thoughts on building effective leadership.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, certainly diversity is a part of it. I think that there are many studies that has, that show that diversity just isn't a nice to have. It actually does produce better outcomes. Um, you know, as a leadership team, you get uh, better ideas, um, more diverse Ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And and so um, but I think that, you know, maybe kind of rising above something specific as diversity is just to say that, you know, leaders need to understand that they are responsible for the culture at their organization. You know, that culture doesn't happen by itself, right? You can't dictate a culture, but you can certainly shape an environment where your desired culture flourishes, or you can totally ignore it and then allow a very dysfunctional culture to develop. And I, and unfortunately I think a lot of entrepreneurs either don't have the skill set or don't have the bandwidth to attend to culture, or they think they don't have the bandwidth to attend to culture. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they start off with a, a couple of folks, you know, working in, in some guy's apartment on some software project and, you know, they wake up six months later and they've got 100 employees and they yeah. don't and they haven't been working on their culture. And yeah. so, you know, I think that the most important thing is to understand that culture is strategy in the sense that it's how you get to growth, it's how you get to performance and it doesn't happen automatically. So, you as a leader need to assume responsibility for building it.
2: And with growth and expansion comes the need for great communication as well, I would argue. Yes. When growing at such a rapid rate as that that you just described, and this is also something that Emily Chong addresses in brotopia, too, mm-hmm. is a lot of these companies simply weren't communicating effectively or even at all in some cases on a wide scale just because the sort of bro-y culture that they had allowed for just you know understanding of what was going on between the extreme expertise of these leaders and the success of the product communication didn't seem necessary to make things successful enough for their Mm -hmm. customers Mm -hmm. and you talk about communication campaigns in the book and the Mm -hmm. importance of those. What kind of campaigns do advise to create mm-hmm. a successful mm-hmm. culture.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, in the book I talk about the need for employee brand engagement. So, employee engagement I think has gotten a lot of, you know, attention recently because there is such a shortage of of engagement and and leaders are trying to figure out how do I get people who are uh, happy and productive at my organization? But I would suggest that you don't just want happy productive employees, you want happy productive employees who produce the right results. Yeah, I think you and, actually
2: Actually, give a number for the percentage of employees that are engaged. Yeah, it's there like thirteen study, yeah, 13% percent according
0: like to Gallup. I mean, it's ridiculous, especially <laughs> in light sad. of the fact it's sad, it is sad, especially in light of the fact that um, companies and aggregates spend a billion dollars on employee engagement, and only thirteen yeah. percent are engaged. Um, right. the, the issue is that if that your employees if they, if you want them to produce the results that you want they need to understand what your brand stands for they need to be passionate about it and motivated to to support it and then they need to know how to interpret and reinforce it in their daily decisions and behaviors and actions and so you need to have you need to cultivate employee brand engagement. And one way to do that is to conduct internal communications campaigns. You know, just as you want your customers to understand what your brand stands for and why it's valuable, and therefore you run advertising campaigns and marketing campaigns to achieve that, your your employees need to have that same level of understanding and value of your brand. And so you, you need to, you know, launch and maintain communications campaigns that help them undo that. Now, I think we should differentiate between a campaign which may involve producing materials and running spots or running videos or you know whatever the case may be, which is critically important to employee and brand engagement, differentiate from from that kind of communication to just daily ongoing leadership communication. So leaders of organizations, you know, as as you said, I think sometimes maybe take for granted that everyone understands what they're working on and why and, and and everyone's moving in the same direction and that that's yeah. just not an assumption that you can afford to make.
2: That, I mean, that seems to succeed for a short period of time when there's great homogeneity in the company yes. and everybody's coming from the exact same mindset and they're like close-knit but as things grow that obviously can't be sustainable.
0: Exactly. And so, you know, one of the first things I do with a lot of when I'm engaged with my clients as a consultant is to do an assessment and opportunity analysis of oh, what see. the situation is and one of the first things I do is I go around and I talk to everyone about, mm-hmm. for example, okay, what does the brand stand for or what yeah, you know, yeah. where, do, wh- how does the brand need to evolve? And you will be amazed at, at – or maybe you won't – at how different the responses that I get oh, fr- sure. from like the executive team. So, you know, C le- C-suite leaders, I'll talk to five of them and I'll get five different answers. And you think, well, if they're not clear about – this then, how do they expect the rest of the organization yeah, the to be?
2: The people they're leading are probably yeah. more confused.
0: Yeah, so you, you know, it's, so you need to have that alignment, and then you need to communicate, communicate, communicate. It's it's so
2: critical. So where does employee experience fall into this? Mm-hmm. Ex.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that employees will only deliver to customers experience that experiences that they have themselves. Mm-hmm. So if you want your customer, if customers to be engaged in a certain way and to have a certain kind of experience with you, you need to design your employee experience like that. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of companies these days understand the importance of customer experience and there's all these disciplines of customer journey mapping and prototyping to help you develop customer experience. Yeah. You need to do the same thing with employees. Okay. You need to think about the entire journey that an employee has with your company from the moment they learn about you as a potential recruit you know through recruiting onboarding training development you know comp and benefits performance planning communication engagement all the way to the end of their employment and you need to design those experiences so that they are immersed your employees are immersed in the culture that you desire that they so that they can and then in turn deliver on brand customer experiences
2: you really emphasize the formality and the design of, of these things. Yeah. So everything from a handbook to yes. again, those sort of like rituals and artifacts that exist in the workplace and how those are kind of internalized as a component of the employee experience. How important do you think reg- almost like regulations and things like handbooks with those mm-hmm. guidelines are important to the culture in that sense of, you know, delivering to your yeah. customers, but also with, you know, guidelines of morals and ethics Mm -hmm, and those mm -hmm, sorts of mm -hmm.
0: things. I think they're critically important. The, I think, the mistake would be to write them and then publish them in a book and have the book sit on the shelf though, mm-hmm. right? So you want to make sure that when you are setting guidelines, I mean, and guidelines are, are critical because I think most people want to know what's expected of them. They want to know what is acceptable, what's not, you know, mm-hmm. what are, how they should be making decisions. So they're critically important, but then you need to make sure that people use them. And so one of the things that I, that I write about in the book is how to make your employee policy manual, something that your employees will actually read and use. And I talk about Zingerman's, which is this um, community of businesses in Ann Arbor, Michigan that started out as a deli and has grown into, you know, coffee shop and restaurant and all these different businesses. (laughs) But they have this great employee handbook that like, even as a non-employee, I like read the whole thing because it was so interesting to learn about what they do, why they do it, why it's important. It was served up in a really engaging way.
2: How did they do
0: it yeah um well they turned their what they the way that they communicate externally internally so kind of going back to what we were just talking about really engaging in that yeah and and they took the 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 tone and manner and the visual style and the copywriting style and they created this this book that is yeah as engaging as a customer communication would be
2: that's my biggest Concern with these things with guidelines and regulations is that those can be boring and sometimes droll despite their quintessentiality. Yes. You think a lot of, I don't know, I think of, you know, fast food restaurants or just restaurants having like those videos where they teach the sort of processes. Of yeah. Being yeah. A server or whatever it is. And it's like you're sitting in a back room just, uh, exhausted. I used right. to look at super cuts and I had one of those oh, for just being no. a receptionist. And I was oh. like, come on, guys. So,
0: But uh, can I say something, though, Tyler, that I think is important? Because you made me realize that I should specify that, you know, these days it's probably impossible to anticipate every possible scenario that's going to come up for an employee. Of course. Right? So, you you know, you want your values and your guidelines to be just that, like things that guide behavior, Hmm. you know, but you're going to need to give your employee, you're going to need to trust your employees and respect them enough to make the right decisions in the moment when something happens. Yeah, you don't want right? to
2: like, micromanage yes. that sort of thing as yes, well. Yes, exactly. Hey, so sorry to interrupt this conversation between Denise and I. Just wanted to let you know where you can learn more about fusion. Denise filmed this series on operationalizing your company's core values into behavior and all the steps needed to fuse brand clarity with positive culture for massive growth. But she taught this lesson, as usual, exclusively for MentorBox members. To access all that plus tons more, go to mentorbox.com. Okay, back to the show. I want to make a little aside here. You just mentioned the, the copywriting and the visual nature of that the Zingerman's handbook, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. I want to speak about how your book had the same effect on me. I'm oh, flipping through it right now. And the the way it's laid out and the visual nature of it, despite not being, you know, a picture book or anything of that sort, is really effective and engaging you kind of have a matrix early on that describes different brand types that really help me understand more acutely how to think of your company's brand. And then each chapter has a sort of intro bullet points and outro bullet points. And then you embolden the certain words in a way that's spaced just right. And it it makes sense in in a learning process for me. And I want to just let you know that that's how I read the book. And I think people would really enjoy that in Yay. general as well. No,
0: I, <laughs> I am so glad to hear that. You know, um, I worked really hard on trying to make this book as instructive as possible, meaning that I think that there are a lot of books out there that talk about corporate culture, but don't necessarily teach you how to actually cultivate a culture. So I wanted mm-hmm. it to be very instructive in the sense of, you know, here are five actions that you can take or five steps or five strategies. Um, but figuring out how do you serve that up in a book versus an, you know, an online uh lesson or um sure, yeah. or you know a workshop is really difficult. So I'm I'm so pleased to hear you say that. So yeah. thank you. <laughs> y- you
2: combine all of that very well with deep research. Mm-hmm. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's you know tons of citations in here from actual studies and then anecdotes that are very engaging as well. And we've already talked about a few. You kind of opened the book with Uber and Amazon and mm-hmm. then you get into all kinds of different examples. Um, and just the balance of it is is very well done, in my opinion. I really enjoyed reading it. Great. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Back to the topic at hand. I'm curious as to what you think can be done with companies that are already having success are out there doing their thing that might also be suffering from or sort of committing the violation of being inequitable spaces. So thinking about Uber and companies that have had issues like that, I'm sure there are still plenty out there because as we saw, so, so many people came forward. It doesn't seem like, you know, that it's all stopped and it's all changed now. So your guidelines seem to make a lot of sense for, you know, building up and growth and expansion. What do you have to say about companies that may already be, you know, very large? How can we kind of reconsider our values and our brand plus culture fusion.
0: Right, right. Well, I do think that brand culture fusion is something <clears throat> that can be achieved by a company of any type, longevity, etc. Mm-hmm. But I I think it takes a leader or a set of leaders at the company to want to make a change. And this is something that someone pointed out to me recently. You know, they said, you know, this book is a, lo- is a lot. It's a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. And what if you as a business owner are doing just fine, you know, like you're running a business, you know, you're getting your sales and profits and everything's fine. And
2: if it's not broke, don't fix it.
0: Right. And, you know, and I have to say that if that's the case and you're not interested in in improving or increasing the sustainability of your business, um, you know, I think a lot of uh, business leaders may be looking for a quick exit. And so they don't really care about these things. And so in that case, you know, I I guess I would just say this book isn't for you. Mm -hmm. But if you are a leader of of any company, even a very well established, long you know, a a, a company with a long history, uh, but if you want to make changes, you can. And I Mm -hmm. think that one of the things I would say about these companies that are already very well established is that you probably have really positive. Aspects of your culture that you just need to leverage and grow and um, lean into more, mm-hmm. so that more so it's not necessarily it. about changing your culture, but it's about bringing those best positive attributes out and really making them even stronger for you. So that that's, I think, you know, the real opportunity.
2: We had an author named Chris McGoffin a month or two ago. He wrote a book called Match in the Root seller and the title is kind of a an anecdote or a a reference to this parable where somebody goes into a very dark forest, finds a very dark cabin, goes into the very dark basement and then opens up a chest that is empty. And then that person lights a match in that chest. And despite all the darkness surrounding that match, the light still overtakes the darkness. And Mm. the allegory there is that even the smallest spark, so the smallest person within an organization can make this sort of overarching sea change within a company culture.
0: I love that. That I love it too. It's it's a really
2: cool parable. And I love that he made that the title because it is all about company culture. But I'm curious as to how you think people can implement this ideal and this possibility in places where the culture is not Mm -hmm. so healthy. Right. So in a lot of cases somebody may be put down for, you know, going to HR and that sort of thing. And, um, this is another thing addressed in Brotopia is the difficulty of making that change. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's possible for, you know, anybody to make the change? There just needs to be an effective way to find it and to take Mm -hmm. the proper steps.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I do think that, you know, if you, especially if you're kind of a middle level manager, you're not like the head of the company or the founder or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's going to be more difficult for you to see wholesale change mm-hmm. um i think that you know the when we talk about brand culture fusion at, at the highest level or at the at, at the level that it makes the most impact you really do need to be kind of at the highest level of your organization to make it happen of course, yeah. but i think that any manager you know and even any employee really i think can do their part to ensure you know a positive healthy uh, valuable culture, and particularly in employee experience. So this goes back mm-hmm. to something we were talking about before. Frontline managers and direct managers and employees are probably the biggest influence on what that day-to-day employee experience is like. Mm-hmm. And so if you can figure out how do I make this employee experience meaningful and relevant and compelling to my employees, how do I ensure that they understand what they need to do and um, that they are experiencing that? themselves. There's a lot of influence that you have just in, you know, even if you're just managing, you know, a few people. And so I'd encourage you to think about, you know, what is the difference that you want to make? And what is your contribution to the culture that your employees experience? And even if your entire company isn't changing or is very slow to change, there are still things that you can do to make a difference. Mm
2: -hmm. And I think it's important to acknowledge what you have said and what Emily Chong says as well, that making a change, a cultural change in the direction of inclusivity and diversity in particular, is not just the right thing to do for so many reasons, but it it is a, a good business decision. And you've mentioned, you know, the importance of diversity and leadership, but so many of these companies that made the mistake had to endure all these, you know, legal issues and other things. And what she says is, you know, having more just being more inclusive and take making these changes culturally will prevent problems three years down the road that just draw everything right, back.
0: Right, right. And that's a great example of something that you can do at a, as a manager at any level. I mean yeah, you, yeah. you know, it's not, not something you have to wait for your CEO to tell you to be more inclusive and to be more respectful of, of um, you know, the diversity of your team. I mean, it's something that mm-hmm. you can do yourself and I think, and then experience the benefits of it.
2: Mm-hmm. What do you say about people who aren't in positions of leadership? How can they influence and create fusion, mm-hmm. perhaps better ethics and morals, and success, and all those good things.
0: Right. Um, I do think it's first of all being aware that that there there needs to be this integration and alignment, and mm-hmm. often there there isn't. So, so
2: read the book. Step y- one. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> well, and I, I don't mean to plug the book, but I think that <laughs> no, you know, um, no what we you know we were talking earlier that I think you know one of the things about brand culture fusion is that it's it's an idea that many people may have, have like. It should make sense to people. But yeah, it's my- almost
2: an aside in a lot of books that I've read and people that I've talked to, they that I've talked to, they see good examples of companies that are, you know, deeply political or are deeply intertwined with with their own product because of how it was a problem that they encountered as people. And they mentioned, oh, this is a good way to, you know, create your brand. But you think that it's universally quintessential yes. and you do a great job of describing that.
0: Yeah, and, and really trying to help people understand, okay, well, if this is what you want, this is how you, you get it. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that, you know, as even if you're at whatever level of leadership you are. We talked about communication. So first Mm -hmm. of all, assume responsibility that your role in culture building. Second, make sure that you are consistently communicating about it and role modeling Mm -hmm. the behaviors. But then, you know, all the different steps in the book, whether it's creating culture changing employee experiences or igniting your transformation through employee brand engagement, those are things that you in your field of of or your sphere of influence, you can actually do, and maybe hopefully, other people will see you doing it and seeing the results you get, and mm-hmm. um, more and more people in your organization will do it as well.
2: I love that assuming and understanding your role in culture building and culture development. I yes. think that's something that so many people don't see and they overlook as they're so busy doing their work and all of those things. I think it's so important to remember that. What are some ideas that you describe in the book for employee brand engagement. I mean, you mentioned, again, things like traditions and rituals and mm-hmm. uh, maybe company getaways, uh, but there's a few really good anecdotes that you give in the book. Mm-hmm. Can you call those up?
0: Well, I talk in in the chapter about employee brand engagement, I talk about MGM Resorts because they mm-hmm. were a company that wanted to transform from being kind of a merely a casino company to being understood and experienced as a worldwide entertainment brand. Mm-hmm. And they had they have 77,000 employees. So, I mean, we're not talking about a small company. Yeah. But the leaders of the organization decided we are going to engage every single one of those 77,000 employees. We're going to do it ourselves. We're not going to um, outsource it to someone or you know tell people to read a book. We're actually going to get into interactive experiences, you know, um, in-person sessions where employees could really experience what does entertainment, what does an entertainment brand mean? What does that look like? What mm-hmm. are the experiences that, that a guest would have that would reinforce entertainment to them? They came up with this acronym called We Are The Show, or I mean, a, ta- a theme called We Are The Show, and the acronym SHOW was uh, these four behaviors that they wanted, and and S stood for Smile and Greet the Guest, and then, you know, H-O-W. And mm-hmm. um, it was just, you know, getting people engaged with that and showing how meaningful it is when you as a leader look at some at your employee in the eye yeah. smile greet them by name and acknowledge them that's so compelling as an employee, then they understand, gee, if I did that to my guests, yeah. they would be happy as well. So these interactive brand engagement experiences is something that is, uh, that is very effective and it doesn't have to be just with frontline employees either. Mm-hmm. I, um, I recently uh, worked with a company that they create a, um, insurance technology solutions so software so they're never they're never really touching the customer at all it's it's their customers 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 you know who use (laughs) who use the platform but they as a company engaged all of their employees in the understanding of what their brand promise and what their brand values were Mm -hmm. and they ended up having um all the different departments create science fair-like exhibits oh, wow. for how they were delivering on the brand values and the brand promise. I, love
2: that. I was going to say, it's much harder for things that don't have, you know, in-person
1: engagement yeah. with, no, with customers. But, but
0: I mean, it was amazing how creative these departments were is when they were challenged to think, okay, how can we bring to life what our brand stands for mm-hmm. in programming, you know, um, or in engineering or, you know, in accounts payable, right? Right. Mm-hmm. but what was great is that every every department and participated and um, at the end of the day I think everyone walked away with a better engagement and better understanding of their brand that company by the way is called Mitchell International they're based in San Diego and okay. again I mean, it just kind of shows that you can be like you know a, a very well-known consumer brand you can be kind of a you know a, a smaller mid-size b2b brand it doesn't matter brand culture fusion is possible and is really, I would say, a requirement for you. Mm
2: -hmm. So some key takeaways I'd say are, again, I love that you said understand and assume your role in culture development. That's something that everybody is involved with, no matter what your role, you're a part of it. And especially if you're a leader, you have influence over it. Understand that there is a, a pass from, you know, leadership and that highest level of brand decision and development down to employee experience that then flows directly into your customer experience. And that's so important. That's where the fusion, you know, needs to take place. That's really where it is. But it's, it's just a, it's a clean transition between those different forces from brand and leadership to, you know, middle level leaders, to their employees, to the customer. I Mm -hmm. think that's so important to understand. And at the end of the day, this is, not only more effective in business, strictly you know numbers terms, but it's also a more ethical, sensible way to look at things, I think.
0: And more sustainable, you know, Absolutely. I think that you can only, you know drive performance in the short term without having a, a vital, valuable culture. Mm-hmm. So um, if you want to build a, a business to last, you need this.
2: And we saw a lot of that as we discussed in Brotopia. There's a lot of evidence there and in all the evidence that you give in the book as well. So everybody, be sure to pick up Fusion, How Integrating Brand and Culture Powers the World's Greatest Companies by Denise Leon, my guest today. Uh, Denise, where else can people learn about you and your work?
0: Please go to my website, com, and that's D-E-N-I-S-E-L-E-E- y-o-h-n dot com <laughs> um, and there you will be able to learn um, more about Fusion the book and access downloadable materials from that um, as well as my other books and, and um, speaking and consulting work that I do and then please reach out to me on social media uh, Denise Lee Yon is my handle on Twitter as well as my name on LinkedIn and Facebook and I love to connect with and meet new people through those channels. So I look forward to hearing from everyone who's listening to this.
2: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Denise. It was great speaking with you and learning about the book. Thank you. Thanks everybody for listening. Have a great day.
1: Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox Podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at mentorbox.com. And if you like the MentorBox Podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast.